Hey guys, welcome to You Chat Too Much podcast. This is a podcast where two international teachers, Joe and Madge, discuss various topics with the help of interesting and amazing guests each week. Enjoy the episode. start the pod in a different way today um unfortunately it's sad to announce that this is going to be our last episode um the previous three episodes have come because we recorded them uh, before the summer uh, ready to start when we came back after the holidays but unfortunately life has got to us um both got really busy with work and don't have much time to record the podcast for now we hope to come back to it in the future um so we're never saying never but just want to say thank you for everyone who has listened. Um, yeah, we really appreciate all your support and all, all of our guests who have come on um, and had these great conversations with us. So we look forward to it, hopefully, to come back to you at some point in the future. Hey guys, welcome back to You Chat Too Much. This is episode three of season four and 30 overall on the road to 100 episodes uh today we're talking money versus morals and we're going to delve into various different topics surrounding um religion sport being used as a vehicle against um developing reputation or improving reputation as a country um and a few ins and outs here and there um we've got a returning guest mr fenwick josh how are you very well, thank you. It's nice to be invited back rather than being asked, asking myself this time. <laughs> no, it's quality to have you back. Um, we've got uh, three new intro questions for you to answer, Josh. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the first one to kick us off today. Um, if you had to delete all but three apps on your phone, which ones would you keep? Um, I'd keep WhatsApp so I couldn't speak to you. Spotify Ooh. and my fantasy football app. I like it. I like it. Uh, if you could design your own Mount Rushmore of four famous faces, who would you have on it? I'd have myself. I'd have Joe, Madge, and probably David Beckham. That'd have to be a pretty big mountain to have all our heads on it, mate. Um, if they made a movie about your life, who would play you? Which actor? If you made a movie about my life, who would play me? Uh, Ray Winston. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start us off. So really, there's a, there's a few things that we, we wanted to kind of chat about today. And it kind of centers around the um, live golf um not even live golf tournament or live golf organization um but basically new golfing organization uh, brought in by um a saudi backed and it's um greg norman isn't it who's like the the kind of main golfer behind it who's um i think he's got 20 29 majors but uh, himself or 30 i know rory's now got 31 something like that he made a big deal about it 
the other day when he won his 31st, Rory. Um, and this, this then takes us on to the idea of sports washing. So, Josh, do you know what sports washing means? Have you already read the notes? Um, I've briefly read the notes, but yeah, sports washing is about uh, big companies with lots of money taking over and sort of branding the sport and to sort of cover things up. That's in a nutshell that I know. Yeah. And it's and it's also not even just companies, but it's then like countries doing it. So I kind of delved into this a little bit um, pre-episode and it's sports washing isn't like a new thing. It's probably like a new term that we've liked to use, but it's it's been used all forever and various different um, things has happened. So even back to like Olympics, the first Olympics in Athens, Berlin Olympics, obviously um, with Hitler kind of using those Olympics as like a way to kind of show off Germany, um, Beijing, China potentially doing the same thing. Um, and what was interesting, I mean, we kind of know this from teaching IGCSEPE, the aim of the Olympics is always to um, develop your country to then provide like a legacy of sport. And Beijing is known for like building all of these stadiums and, and not actually using many of them again, you know, just literally did it for that one event. And that was it. Um, Russia, Qatar. Um, and then obviously you've got Live Golf and then the new Saudi owners at Newcastle. So some of the things that we wanted to kind of talk about today then was this, this idea surrounding bases, like, you know, what is sports washing? Do we believe in it? And then this idea of like, um, is it, is it wrong? Is it wrong? First of all, for um, countries to do it. And then maybe a second point is like, is it wrong that sport is being used as that and should athletes get caught up in the middle? Um, Matt, do you want to start us off a little bit with like your initial thoughts on today? So my idea is that um, I think it's a very difficult situation to be put in to ask athletes to represent a country's point of view, for example. So we're talking about this golf uh, another chat about golf. I just realized Josh came on and we we're talking about golf again. But um, yeah, like the idea of sport washing. So if we talk about in certain sports, um, there's a there's Newcastle takeover that was quite recent. Um, and then also like <clears throat> uh, this, is it live golf or live golf? Live golf. And the fact that people are having a problem with it, um, mainly because it's Saudi backed. And then because it's Saudi backed, um, people are then bringing up all this humanitarian um, stuff with it. And then the players now have to respond um, and have to make a decision whether they uh, agree with the morals or the values of that particular country. Um, and then they have to go against their own values and morals and whether they think about themselves or whether they have to start thinking about representation. Um, I, I think the topic's too big for me to give an answer from the start, but I mean, if I just give you the definition of humanitarian, humanitarian is the concerned or um, seeking to promote human welfare um, or persons involved in or connected with improving people's lives and reducing suffering. Because I think humanitarian is going to come up quite a bit. Um, what's your view, Josh? 
What, on the Live Golf? Yeah, start us off with yeah, start us off with that. So like I'm I sit on the fence really for this because I've you know there's there's arguments for and against it, but you know, like reasons for like I mean I, I completely get the athletes what they're saying about you know less golf because actually being on the road for so long is you know you're away from your family a lot and you imagine practicing every day. I mean, I went away on a golf trip a couple of weeks ago. I played three rounds in a weekend and that that killed me for two weeks so if you're doing that every day like you know so i get i get that argument um i get i like the fact that it's introducing like a, a new sort of um and a new a new stint on the game so like team games for example like team golf's good fun uh, it just puts a different sort of narrative on it um and it and the sport does need to develop uh, in some kind of way um and more so as well that it does give opportunity for those people who have, are actually not on tour. It opens up some, you know, window of opportunity for those people coming through. So there are some good things, um, but like the, I just think that all the negative thing just stems around that whole money money issue. Like whatever way you turn, it's money is is slap bang in the middle. Um, the, the one thing I don't like about it is I you, I see the interviews of the players and. It's just a lot of dishonesty going on. Like, I wish someone would just come out and say, "Right, yeah, I'm, I'm actually there to take 150 mil a year," and I and I'm I put my hands up and I say it. But them saying, "Yeah, I'm committed to this tour," and then you know, two weeks later they they go behind the back and go to another tour. That doesn't that doesn't sit well with me. I, I don't really like that. Um, and also, I just think that you know these these players that are on these tours now, like I just I feel as if they're do they really love the game anymore? You know, like the, the, these sort of prestigious trophies that they've been playing for years and years and years and years. Like if I, if I was a professional athlete, I would want to have my name on a trophy where all the very best have won, won that trophy. Now they've actually sort of put themselves in a situation where that, that possibility is is not there anymore. Like, cause they've, you know, they've been sort of moved along from different tours prestigious yeah. competitions yeah. like the Ryder Cup, for example, like that is the best of the best. Now that they quite openly said that those people who've gone to this new tour, you know, you're not going to find yourselves in the Ryder Cup, you know, so that again has a, a massive effect on people aspiring to be the best role models, young children looking up. Um, yeah. So there, there, there's, there's lots of arguments like for and against, but I, I just, I do sit on the fence with this and I really do. Um, so yeah, I, I I I can't say I'm in favour or I'm not in favour. It's you know a bit of both. The um, what's interesting about the oh, about the dishonesty stuff, and um, you mentioned that because it's I've noticed the very first group of guys that kind of went over were kind of trying to you know not necessarily say it was about the money and saying they wanted to just play less and this and that. The, the ones that have come out just recently, so Matt Wolf and Pat Perez, they've been a little bit more honest. Matt Wolf did a really honest one the other day and said, um, he just said, look, you know, I'm, I'm fit, I'm healthy-ish at the minute. He's, he's had a bit of a dip in performance, but he's fairly healthy. He says, but you never know. And, and he was like, I just want to, you know, set myself up and my family up and make sure we are secure. You know, Pat Perez said the same. He was just like, 
I've been on tour since 19 something. Um, now I don't want to do it and just make a load of money, you know, but I think, I think one thing that stemmed from this, which is then sparked our kind of conversation and Madge's interest, because when I initially said, let's do one about live golf, um, he might have used not so great words to say, go away or doesn't want to do it. But um, the bit which obviously sparked the, the debate and conversation was this idea of like, well, why is so many people against it? And it's this idea of, well, it's Saudi backed. And I was fairly ignorant, to be honest. You know, I, I, I knew bits and bobs, but again, something that we're, we're starting to see more and more is the only bit I know has been from like Western media, like, you know, whether it's been from credible ones like BBC or whether it's been not so credible ones um, like uh, Daily Mail and stuff, which is, which is obviously just all just like potentially all rubbish. Um, so I did a bit of research on Saudi and this might be new to you or you might already be super smart here, Josh, but they're the second largest oil producer behind the US. Um, they've got like billions and billions of, of pounds of money, um, I think into the trillions. The Saudi family, um, the royal family, uh, they own the whole of Saudi and the oil and everything. I think they're trillionaires. Um, and they've got the sixth largest gas reserves. Now, Obviously, the humanitarian issue is what the media really focuses on. And what what we're going to kind of talk a little bit about today is like some of the things that obviously need to be highlighted and then some of the things that are maybe more religious. And I think that's sometimes what gets lost in it. You know, something that Saudi still does is they execute people. So... Um, 179 people have been executed between Jan and mid-November, mostly for murder and gun crimes. Now This year? Yeah, so, you know, initially you're kind of thinking, well, you know, murder and, and drug crimes. I'm like, well, going, yeah, murder. Okay, like, you know, and then and then you're kind of thinking, well, are, are, is there enough evidence and all those things? That, that necessarily necessarily i don't know and what type of jury they're up against and everything um and its executions are carried out by firing squad or beheading now when you then look into it is the death penalty there's 92 countries that still have the death penalty which i again like i didn't really realize how many people still and obviously there's states in united states that do it and other countries that do it um and madge just told me just at dinner tonight that singapore have just executed somebody recently again for bringing uh bringing drugs into the country so something that you know greg norman said related to the gulf was i know you're all against saudi for this humanitarian work um and you know, injustice and various things that are going on. However, PGA and all those other golfing tournaments, the ones that we're all happy with, they're also funded by various companies that are maybe Saudi owned or Russian owned or China owned, which have all of the same issues and all of the same potentially like uh, 
people are people are you know upset about um so you know that's that's the list that's like the initial bit about what they're frustrated about um and what i would say then like the western media is, is really picking up Matt, do you want to add anything to that yeah for me I, I mean i don't understand the golf bit to it so i'm just kind of just broaden it out a little bit more i think the question is more around um in this in this context is more about sports and politics and whether they should mix because that's that's what it seems to be like i don't what some of that josh said earlier about like the tradition of the sport playing those traditional cups and getting those trophies i mean the only thing i would say about that is at some point the sport will have to evolution evolutionize so maybe this is the thing like in modern day sports, this is how things are working. And at the end of the day, like you said, money talks. Um, and maybe this is, you know, like where there's a lot of us who are traditionalists and we want to play these traditional tournaments. So maybe this is the way sport does evolve. And is it actually better for the sport that money is being pumped into these type of tournaments? I mean, the idea of the Super League, for example, the football one was that the best play the best. And then that'll bring better entertainment, uh, better standard of football, because most people just want to watch the Champions League uh, towards the end because of the quality of the competition, not really the group stages, unless it's your own team. I mean, for me, I, I don't I don't really sit on the fence. I mean, I, I, I say that um, I don't think individuals should take responsibility for what other countries are doing. I think you've got to think about your sporting context and you've got to think about yourself. I mean, I, I always kind of go with the view of um, do things that make you happy. And obviously that, that is a selfish statement as long as it doesn't harm other people. So I think even with that like little motto that I have for myself, you can still do that by doing that. The thing is, I just think it's a bit hypocritical. Um, and, I, and I do think it is the Western, it's that Western point of view of basically, I think it's hypocritical that we then judge individuals who do make this decision um, and then hold it against them. I mean, I don't personally think that by not playing in that tournament or playing in that tournament, it's going to make a difference to what that country does in the future. It's more to do with the politics and the political people behind the scenes, they're the ones that are making the difference. So why is it that we are putting that pressure on the athletes and why are we then judging them um, and causing problems for them? I mean, like... <sighs> For, like some of the some of the problems I have with it, like when they say Saudi Arabia, like I was saying to Joe the other day, Saudi Arabia is is always being brought up for humanitarian, and that's why I put that definition in earlier because it's talking about um, what was it now about like uh, improving people's lives and reducing suffering. Now that is very subjective as well. Like in, and from a Western point of view. Improving people's lives and reducing suffering is very different to where we look at someone in the Middle East or look at someone in the Far East. Improving people's lives and reducing suffering, a dictator could look at that a completely different way and say, yeah, we are doing that. So we are, we are, we are following the humanitarian laws. The thing is, is for me, is that um, it's, it, it's different. Like we, we always look at things like hangings and stoning and lashes, uh, lashings and all these things that Saudi allegedly do. Um, and we find that strange. I, I mean, I find that strange. It's, it's very different to how we've been brought up and how we like do it. But at the end of the day, what I was saying to Joe is like, we can't say that's wrong. That's just, an, it's just different. And it's just the way they do things. I mean, we're okay. I mean, we're not okay, but I mean, we're, it's, it's, it feels like people think it's more humane 
that the death penalty done by injection is less harmful or less troublesome than a hanging. I know, I know they, they look very different, but the result is the same. But people's view on it is very different as well, based on that. And I just think that there's just so much. There's just so much to it. Like we we think that Saudi's like really bad, and 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 if we do, if we put up a Western head on it, yeah, of course it is it's completely different to the way we do it and the way we live our lives. But actually, when we look to that uh, website. Um, of the countries that are um, that what do you call it are the worst humanitarian uh, rights and rule of law um, Saudi Arabia is not even on it it's not even on the list and I was actually surprised when I opened it up today because I was like oh it's got to be definitely top three the way we have been like told about it it's like definitely top three but actually Egypt is number one and China is number four and then you've got the other countries on there, like some Central African countries. Um, you've got North Korea, Iran, probably the ones that we probably know about. But I mean, um, why, like, let me, I'll, I'll reel off the top three. Egypt, Syria and Yemen are the top three on that list. And this is from this year or last year. And Saudi Arabia is not on it. But why are sanctions not put against them in a sporting context? Like, for example, um, uh, we've we've banned oh no sorry a lot of Europe have banned Russia from playing any of their games and any athletes that are involved in them. Wimbledon have done it recently, and that's only because it's Russia and it's the same thing. It's it's Saudi as well because it's a powerhouse uh, in in the world. China's another one, um, and it's always it's always been like that. It's always very political, and I just think um, yeah, I just think my point of view on it is that. I don't want to judge people for the way they do things. I just think it's very different and I can accept that. And that's, that's a perspective rather than making a judgment. I think just, just adding on to that, Maj, I completely agree that what you say, everything is political. Like, you know, what, what we say and do, it doesn't really matter if someone above us is making the decisions. And, but I'm a firm believer in everyone sort of having a second chance to put things right. I know there's arguments saying, you know, well, you can't bring these people back, which you can't. But maybe they deep down they recognise this, and it's their way of actually, you know, trying to make amends of, you know, the the ill ill doing in, in the past. Um, whether whether it's the right thing chucking money at things or not, I'm not sure. But you know, whether it be golf or whether it be boxing or whether it be you know any any other sport that they've been back in, um, you know, it's it's only bringing happiness to people really. I mean. It doesn't matter if, if I agree with Live Golf or not. I'll be a liar if I haven't if I said I haven't been watching it on YouTube. You know, mm. I've been watching it. And like probably every other golf lover, you know, when Anthony Joshua fights Alexander Usyk, um, I'll definitely be watching that. And, you know, so it's actually bringing happiness to me. So, but yeah, I think like yeah, going back to your point, it is, it's, it's, above, it's above us and it's above probably any of the, 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 the public um, in Saudi Arabia, so... So I'll ask this. I'll ask this to uh, both of you, and the the question is: This kind of stems from your point that you made earlier, Josh. Is um, if obviously you know you're training your whole life for you know to get your name on that that trophy, or to make a get your name on that to have like a a legacy. The point I asked you yesterday and I asked Madge again is, would you be happy to be, you know, 
160th person name on that trophy? Or would you be happy being top five of the new trophy that potentially will become the next best thing? I think I would want to go put my name on the previous trophy, the one that's already had created history, um, because obviously the legacy of that trophy, it speaks for itself. You don't know whether this is going to be a flash in the pan and it, you know, it, it could all go, or could all go wrong in a couple of years. So I think with this, you know, if we take golfer again, PGA, PGA tour trophy or an FA cup, that is, that's historical um, rather than, the new thing coming in yeah i'm i'm i am a loyalist as well i would i would probably do what you said josh but i wouldn't also like say anything against people who went and did the new format as well because I, I like like i said at the start what's best for you at the end of the day and if you're if you're someone who is looking for setting yourself up for the rest of your life i mean you can make a still decent earnings from um from doing it the traditional way i mean just like even like um from that super, uh, what was it, Super League? I even just after that, when that fell through, um, they've already started making changes to like the Champions League format and stuff like that. So obviously the changes are positive, and they, they've obviously had that little bit of threat. But sometimes it is even, even you know, like even some of the traditional cups and trophies are run by old men's clubs, and uh, and they they're very what's it called old school in terms of moving forward. So maybe it is maybe it is just a shake. But I just wanted to add one more point as well. I was listening to a podcast the other day about Arsenal, um, and they've been getting, that, bit, <laughs> been getting a bit of stick about Visit Rwanda, the, the sponsor on their shirt sleeve. And um, they were saying that uh, basically they get about £10 million a year from, Visit, uh, from Rwanda, from the Rwanda government. And I think PSG are also sponsored by them. And the like the Arsenal fans were like saying, oh, you know what? It brings money into the club. Uh, it actually ten million pounds, quite a bit of money actually. So that could that could pay for half a player or whatever. Like it could contribute quite a bit. It's forty million over forty four years. Um, but a lot of people are like humanitarian protesting and saying that no, you 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 have your values. You should you should be sticking up for those people. You shouldn't get involved in that, especially when it's government. And then on the other hand. You had the Rwandan people, and it's very similar thing to what you said earlier, was that the Rwandan people were saying, oh, no, actually, um, we know all these bad things are happening to us, and we've had these civil wars in, in the 90s, but actually this is bringing a lot of positivity to us. Now, Rwanda being put on an Arsenal shirt and not on a Tottenham shirt actually brings a lot of positivity to those people, and it gets, gets, gets seen in a, in a positive way, you know, and they're saying that it's bringing tourism in, although they were also complaining that it's quite expensive to do the tourist uh, activities there, but it's bringing tourism in. So even though the government have put ten million pound in, they're actually bringing more in. Then what I was saying to Joe is, what if that is then that money? Even even if it is a dictatorship, even if it is someone making money in their own pocket, uh, at least it'll get filtered through somehow. Whether they make better roads or more schools or the better system, somehow it will benefit the local people. But also, um, some of the Rwandan people were saying that it's a bit hypocritical from. The Western people to, or even uh, this, I think it was more like British people, um, to say that, or you know, Rwanda's on the wrong side of humanitarian when, um, when they haven't looked, when we're not looking at our history with oppression as well, um, and like like you said, is that everyone is progressing. So let's say Saudi, for example, 
in the past few years since since this guy's taken over i don't know his name but he's one of the princes in it and um he i mean apparently from people that i know that live there like jed has become quite cosmopolitan and it's not as as strict as it is before but like you said all of these things that are happening in terms of sport is putting saudi on the map tourism has opened up a little bit more um, I think it's making Saudi look a little bit better across the world as well. Because if these events run smoothly, why? At the end of the day, you're watching it for sport. You don't really need to get involved with the politics side. But again, it goes back to that question: in it, why does it? Why does this athletes have to have to take the stick for it? Just jumping on the back of that one quickly. Just just had a thought in my head. So I was looking on the Tez website the other day, which you know, as teachers, you, you're always having a look. And the Saudi packages do look pretty, pretty attractive, I must say. So if you was on your way back, and again, you you could relate, you could relate it to real life, you know. Like I mean, I I know a few people who have gone out to Saudi Arabia now, and you know they've gone from good jobs to salaries which are double to what they're they're actually earning already. So, you know, I think yes, obviously it's a sport context that we're talking about, but I definitely think it relates to uh, to us as um, human beings in real life you know so um one thing that i wanted to then approach and this might this might hopefully it's not going to come across controversial in any way but one thing that after i watched a documentary about saudi arabia on on netflix um just trying to get really get to grips with it a little bit more in terms of like what the main issues were and one thing that i felt was interesting and me and Madge have had various conversations about this as well is how a lot of the media doesn't necessarily always just pick up on um, the, the humanitarian um, issues, but more the issues related to oppression of like women. But then that oppression to women isn't necessarily, um, is, is no more than just um, Muslim ladies. So me and Madge are then having this conversation about like, well, is there actually an element of like just Islamophobic or Islamophobia towards Saudi that, that from a Western mind and from a, a, a Western head and non-Muslim viewpoint, are we looking at going, oh, it's weird, I'll... Why are they making um, ladies cover up their shoulders? Why are they making them cover up their hair? And that was something which, you know, we've spoken about and saying, well, it, for me, who's not Muslim to say, well, that's, that's awful that they're making ladies cover up. And then Madge can sit here in, in Malaysia or family members in England and say, well, no, actually, the ladies do cover up because that's part of our religion. And it's not like a sign of oppression. It's like them choosing to do it. But obviously there's, there's always going to be, you know, extremes. But how many times do we see this in the States or the UK, extreme Christians or, uh, you know, Mormons that are polyamorous and having multiple wives and all of this that are also involved in quite extreme and what we would, we would maybe hesitate to say weird things as well. So, I mean, have you got a viewpoint on that side of things, Josh, in terms of because you've obviously you lived in a Muslim country here, but also in your previous job as well. And your viewpoint on just like that kind of 
different cultural things related to religion? Um, yeah, to be honest, I mean, I, before I moved to the UAE, um, I, I wouldn't say I had an opinion, but stereotypically you see things that go on around the world or in the news and it's like, oh, there's been, there's been this happen or that. And it's, it's I'm not saying all, but it relates back to Muslim, you know, quite a lot of the time. And, and then, but I think unfortunately human nature, you, you sort of jump on that bandwagon. You're like, oh, you start generalizing. Oh, they, they must all be the same, which is completely far from the truth. Like when I moved to the UAE, when I started, I lived in a, a place called Alain, which is very, very um, localized. And I had like a mosque about 100 meters that way, 100 meters that way at, at night in the mornings, like when those were all going off, it was like the biggest alarm clock you could have. Like, you know, you're just right in the mixer. But like, you know, you, you live with these people on, on like a, a day in, day out, and, and they're no different to you or I, you know, that they, they just believe in something slightly different. And like, you know, and people who actually, you know, say, but I'm the first to jump in their defense. So no, actually, I know a lot of Muslim people and they're brilliant. You know, that they, they just happen to go about their day slightly different to what we do. Um, but, you know, they're still a human being. So, you know, at the end of the day, like they're not all bad. And actually you speak to these Muslim people and they don't like that stuff that goes on and they don't, you know, and it, it's, they have different different stints on it and, and obviously um so in terms of, of my opinion as it changed you know I, i'm i'm not one of these who who will jump on the bandwagon but like you know um they're bad people because they're not um you know it, they're just the, what they do and what what they do on a daily basis is just different to us and that's just something you have to accept and it and it will never change you know so would you would you say that this this Saudi thing that basically has been tarnished with this golf tournament? Do you think it is to do with a little bit of Islamophobia? Or is it more to do with the power? Would you say a little bit of both? Um, I don't think it's to do with Islamophobia at all. Really, I think I just personally think that, like I said earlier, I think people they just get drawn by that money element, you know. And and I I think a successful country with lots of oil and a lot of assets. I don't think you can hold that against a country, you know, at the end of the day, they need to, they need to do something with this money. Um, I don't think it, it, it relates to Islamophobia in my opinion whatsoever. Um, no. But the, but the humanitarian side is an Islamophobia point of view. Right. So, I mean, the, I mean, I think the stick that Saudi are getting, is obviously a humanitarian aspect to it. And now the humanitarian aspect is the bit that I think I can shed a little bit of light on. So even I was having a conversation the other day with someone and they were saying, oh, it's, of course, uh, Saudi should be, uh, what's the word? Reprimanded or, uh, yeah, they, they held accountable, that's the word. Held accountable um, for the humanitarian because what they're doing is archaic. And that, that word just made me feel cringe a little bit because... Again, like I'm not saying I agree. I don't agree with what they do. But what I, I can understand is different. That's all I can say. Like I would I would say like it's a different perspective, it's a different way of doing things. And if they want to do it that way, then that's the way they want to do it, you know? And the humanitarian side of it, I think it is to do with Islamophobia. Because I'll, I'll just tell you about this book that I read. Um, it's called it's called A World Without Islam. So this this author argues the point of 
if Islam wasn't here, would we still have the problem of the West versus the East? Because that's what basically it is, right? Uh, or the Middle East. Um, and, and it goes through all the history. And it was saying before even Islam came, there was always a divide between the Christians and the Byzantines, which were on the East side of the world. And then when Islam came, Byzantine got, kind of got shifted around and eventually moved on into the Christian, uh, Christianity. Even um, the way it was, with, what was it, the Catholics and the Protestants, yeah, and they eventually moved into like Orthodox kind of Russia sort of side. And they were saying that even, even if Islam wasn't here, we'd still have the same problems between the West versus the East. And what's happened is people have tagged religion onto politics because it's the best way to group people. It's the best way to uh, get a, a, a group of people rallying for one cause to go and invade another country, for example. If they label it as a, a religious fight, um, then that, that way they can get loads of people. So that's what this book argues. And I think it's the same here, like with, with the, the archaic side of it. Like, I mean, I've read, I pretty much have read the English translation of the Quran. And the bit that people feel uncomfortable with is like the lashing, the, the chopping of the hands, the hanging, the women covering. For example, my family in the UK, all the women cover, um, like even extended cousins, all of them, they all cover and no one is no one is forced to do it. Uh, they do it out of their own, that they, they, they want to do their own devout um, way of, to God. And I don't know anyone, actually, I don't know anyone who has said to me or even felt uncomfortable wearing it. I mean, people who don't want to wear it, don't wear it. People who want to wear it, wear it. Well, even if they call Muslim, you know. Um, obviously, there is that judgmental side of whether you wear it or not wear it makes you a Muslim or not, but that's a different argument. But I think with the with the, that humanitarian side, with the West looking at it, we always look at it from the Western values of like democracy and we need to need make sure it's fair, make sure there's a trial. Um, but like, even I've seen it written in the Quran that there are certain punishments which like the lashing and the cutting off the hands and um, the hanging, I've seen it I've seen it written in the Quran. But there's context to it and the, the, the problem is, like, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but there has to be certain requirements for that to be done um uh, and and i wouldn't say like i, I know i would probably yeah, pretty confident say that most muslim countries don't follow that um th that ruling i think like for example adultery there's a punishment for adultery and there has to be two three witnesses for that for that person to receive that punishment i mean if someone commits adultery i mean there's no not many people watching so i don't know how that you know like there's, there's certain things like even like if someone is getting um, the hand chopped off for like a thieving or something, for example, there has to be so many witnesses and you have to prove that they didn't do it out of poverty, you know? So I think people don't understand that. So then when it becomes about religion, then it, it's, it's not, in my eyes, like humanitarianism. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I, I can't, we, we can never say this, how many people in Saudi want to be governed like this and don't want to be governed like this. But at the end of the day, they, they follow their religion and, that's what the religion says, so they follow it. So it's not really a, a problem there in my eyes, um, but it is a problem with the West and the values, and that's what they always judge against them. So I think there is Islamophobia that plays a massive part to countries like Saudi. And like even, for example, um, the ones that I know about, that I think the three biggest genocides that you see going on now, I think is um, in China against the Muslims, um, the one in Myanmar against the Rohingya Muslims, 
and the one that's been going on for ages in Israel and Palestine, and that's against the Muslims. So, I mean, there is a lot. I mean, there's probably other genocides, other religions that are not, not to do with religion or just purely politics, but they're the ones that I know about anyway. So I think there is the, the humanitarian side where people always say that um, is to do with their religion. And then, for example, if people choose to live under that law, then what's it going to do with us? Whether we can uh, say that they choose to live under that law or not. But for example, we live under English law in England. We don't probably agree with all of the laws, but we still have to abide to it. And then the other thing is, like, for me, I was saying that I think the whole point behind them being so extreme is it's a deterrent, isn't it? Like, just don't do those things that you don't get that punishment. I mean, obviously, the problem comes if, obviously, someone gets wrongly accused. Um, but if, they, if, the, if the procedures, I'm sure there's got to be steps in there um, that it can't just be one person saying it or one witness, and then that happens. I'm sure that's how it's done now. Um, but even like, for example, in America with the death penalty and people getting done by the injection, you find out years later on that they were innocent. The evidence was pointing one way. So, I mean, it happens everywhere, doesn't it? Yeah. I think you've just hit the nail on the head there, Madge. Just be a good person and then none of this will happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, think, I think the point that Madge makes about, um, you know, uh, accusing the wrong person or the wrong person, you know, getting a punishment. I think it also opens a whole nother big can and multiple episodes related to um, the criminal justice issues in across the world, UK and America. I mean, America is prolific for the amount of um, wrongly accused and incarcerated individuals um, that, yeah, 15, 20, 30 years later, they're still incarcerated. Um, you know, you've got people in uh, Russia at the minute who are incarcerated. There's a, a famous basketball women's um, NBA player, Brittany, who's um, stuck in prison there and in, incarcerated for the wrongdoing. So there's lots of that going on. And again, you know, I, I kind of side with Madge a little bit. I think there is an element of Islamophobia towards Saudi. And I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware of just like that kind of oh, that's weird. Oh, that's, that's wrong. Um, because, and maybe it is because like, you know, having a friendship with Madge is like, you can't say something's weird or wrong if actually he agrees with it or maybe his family agree with it. And the, and the same would be on both sides. It's not always me to him, but if he was to say, oh, that's weird that I do this. Well, it, it's just what I do or what my religion or, or just what I believe in. And uh, you know your point there about just being a just being a good person, um, and kind of being a little bit more culturally aware is is how it is. I mean, in UAE, like you wouldn't just rock up to a mosque and and walk in with a, a vest on and shorts. You know, you'd you'd cover your shoulders, or you know, Katie would do the same. It's just it's that cultural awareness and and being appropriate in the country that you're living in. And I said to Madge earlier, like sometimes as Brits, but even as just like Westerners, we have like a real arrogance when we go to other countries sometimes, you know, like you'll often get somebody in front of like a, a Bali temple and then being, oh, why do I have to put a skirt on or why do I have to cover my legs? It, it's just like, unfortunately, it will often be like a Brit or an American being like, why do I have to do this? Like my shorts are long enough. 
you know, and it's just that awareness, isn't it, of like other other cultures. Yeah. I mean, some of the things as well, like to think about, like, for example, we know that China um, have put those um, Muslims, Uyghurs, 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 I don't know how to pronounce it. They put them into like reconcentration camps or re-education camps, as we called it, basically to make sure they don't become terrorists. And I, I traveled China like maybe 12 years ago and I, I, even I noticed it then. Um, but like, like that, for example, that's an example, right? Um, we know that's happening, yet we still buy loads and loads of items from China, which is going to help the government. We know that's happening, but we'll still do it, right? So why, why can we get on a high horse? Like the other one as well, like all our clothes, like there's always a big deal about H&M or certain, certain brands when they find out all these people from Vietnam or Philippines or Indonesia, they're working for hardly anything and the working conditions are horrible. And then all it takes is someone to say, oh, no, 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 it's, it's friendly, it's whatever. There's guaranteed, like we, us knowing living in these countries, especially us living in Malaysia, um, especially down at the lower end, we've seen the working conditions here. There's no way that the clothes that we buy are built in a way that's fair to our morals and values in the West, how everyone gets a minimum wage, everyone get, gets free education. So it's hypocritical, I think, in that sense. I mean, people would should if if you're gonna if you're gonna judge Saudi for that and all the other things what's different between that and us buying clothes that are made in these countries that can't guarantee that they're working in healthy conditions and good conditions like that so I think it is very hypocritical and like the other one I mean Saudi always get I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not like backing up Saudi I'm just kind of making sure that people kind of just understand about how we get fed media and how it is and I think also me being a Muslim as well, kind of giving that little bit of perspective. I mean, they're getting they're getting hurt for um, that Kashgari guy who got assassinated in Turkey, for example. Are we saying as British people that we've not had some sort of ops in a different country where someone else has been assassinated under the radar? I mean, we can't say that's definitely not happening. I mean, I can pretty much guarantee that's happened. It's just not been made in public. So I think that's what it is. I think we're going back to the original question of like, the sports washing and these p- people going they are being judged for, look how look how long this conversation has been and look where we where we are right now they are being judged and they they are the ones who are being held accountable for all of these things that are happening in the background and i don't think it's fair that's basically my point of view on it that it is very political it goes down to the bigger question of whether sport and politics should mix um we have for example very positive examples of like politics um for example like let's say uh, everyone's put the what's it called um on russia they put all the bans on russia uh, like all the countries have put all the restrictions on hoping that they're going to stop doing the war uh, and and ukraine can get saved right but that's not really happened as well and then you got um the positive with like, the black lives matter with the protests and the way different ways people start the games and the way they've done that but again, that's now become very political to, to the extent that that's not really working anymore, but people are still doing it. So where where does where is the line? I mean, I think it's very, very blurred and I think it's quite tricky to get past that. Um, just want to like what you were saying about there with, you know, making things and the, the conditions not being great. I mean, if we, if we take the Qatar World Cup, for example, like obviously going back to what you said previously about making the stadiums, it, all the stadiums are going to look brilliant. Yeah. Great, but you don't actually hear about the people that died making these stadiums. 
people who will be getting paid nothing like you can literally nothing but just to make these like make this big show that's going to happen which is going to be great but the lives that have actually been affected to make this i mean when i was living in the uae i mean there's so much building going in and around in and around dubai you know lots of these big buildings going up and you know i can't give you stats on you know people like dying or anything like that but i certainly look at the way in which they are working and it ain't safe so I can't, you know, to get all these buildings up, it all looks great, but it just makes you think like, you know, you know, who's being affected on the way. And moving on a little bit more with the, the Qatar World Cup as well, actually from a sports person's point of view, like Italy, our European champions, have not qualified for our World Cup. Qatar national team are in the World Cup. Now, I did a bit of research on the Qatar national team and what they've actually done in their in their history, and they basically did nothing up until 2019, where they won the Asian Cup, which is brilliant. But never have they been at a World Cup before. You know, obviously you can't predict the future, but their current their, their form, I wouldn't have thought that they'd be qualifying for any World Cup in any any near future. You know, so in my opinion, as a sports person, I just think that's an absolute waste. Like, you know, you've got someone like Italy who haven't qualified and then you've got all this money, which is, you know, because we've got lots of money and now our national team are going to be in this World Cup. I just think that, you know, it's... I just don't think it's right, personally. Mm. See what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. And it's so difficult as then an individual player, like... You know, if you just said to Raheem Sterling and say, right, make a decision, are you going to play or not? It's like, well, yeah, he, he wants to play in every World Cup because he he's not going to have that many left. And, you know, it's the same with if it's related to the Olympics or related to any like big tournament. At the end of the day, every tournament could be your last one with injury. And I think that's like the point Madge makes of like, it shouldn't be on the athletes to be making these big political statements. But I, I do agree that I think sport is a great way at times to um, not only improve your, uh, the perception of a country um, to improve your popularity, help with tourism, but also maybe to shed a little bit more light on that country and maybe get more eyes to say, Oh, you need to improve on this. Because actually, this more light on Qatar and Saudi, it might actually improve things because there's there's more pressure and more eyes on it. So, you know, I think, again, you know, we, we've got to look at it from a point of view of like, you know, we can't be hypocritical about, you know, like Madge says about the clothing. We can't sit there in our H&M t-shirts and say, oh, humanitarian, oh, it's just disgusting in Saudi. And we're sat here with a H&M T-shirt that's probably been made for 10p, you know, and it's like, you know, you've got to kind of a bit go back and forth a little bit. And if you're going to go fully in on on that perception of like, um, this is right or wrong, I think you've got to do everything. And then I think it comes down to like, you know, could you affect it or can you also be affected by just being a good person being a good role model and then also like hopefully what we're doing more and more with this podcast is just opening up that conversation because I think even for me something I've just been more aware of is just being like you can't just say that's weird you can't just say Saudi's strange because 
for someone like Madge, he's looking at it going, well, actually, there's some parts of that which I see really nor- as, as really normal. That, that might have been, yeah, actually, that, that was my upbringing. So there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but I think that's a big part of it as well. And, uh, you know, from my point of view, you know, I don't think players should be held accountable for a decision which is an individual and a personal decision. And, uh, you know, I think if the PGA, from a golf point of view, if PGA want to hold them accountable, they've, they've eventually got to make a decision. Well, actually, if all of our top athletes have left, what's that going to do? do for them it will probably improve or it will force them into to doing something but that's another thing as well like those people who are on pga for example they the 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 downs the real uh, message is that they, it's gonna mess up the sport right but they're pulling out all the other things yeah. around saudi to make it look really bad that's what i'm saying yeah. is like, like josh said right at the start just let's be honest, like people just, just say what it needs to be. It's money. Um, and it's so easy, like the propaganda to just everyone jump on the bandwagon without actually looking at this. Like, like for example, like the whole Saudi thing. I mean, up until a few hours ago, I thought, yeah, I, I knew Saudi was bad. I knew that there were humanitarian issues. So when I opened up, did a bit of research about today's topic, when I open up the top 15 countries, I was like, definitely top three, the way it's talked about. It's not even on the top 15. Um, and that just like blew my mind. I was like, so why why are the other countries not getting picked on? And, and I think it is, it is down. I think the question is, is like, I think politics gets brought into this and the athletes are getting, um, getting judged for it, aren't they now? Like, it's not, it's a sporting question. So it's like, it's bad for the sport. It's bad for the, those trophies and those tournaments and the history behind it. But then on the other side of it, they're looking at themselves and thinking, I've got a really short career. I spent, I sacrificed so much. I've got no, hardly any friends. I've not done anything during my teenage years. And like, if I can make money quick and secure my family, then they might not have to make those sacrifices later. So there's that selfish side to it. Uh, but at the end of the day, if it's not harming other people, then what's right or wrong in that, in that sense, yeah? Final comments. Final comments from you, Josh. Um... No, not really. I, like I say, I just think I think just just touching on what what uh, Mad said. I think I just think us as human beings and human nature, we're very quick to any new idea. It's like right, let's just pick the bones and let's be so negative about that, you know, straight away. So instead of actually, you know, actually accepting it for being what it is and like, oh, that'd be a great idea. I just think whether whether it is with the topic we're talking about, it could be anything else. Naturally, we'll always look to criticize and we'll always look to say that the, the bad and the wrong and whereas actually like like a point I said earlier like let's just give them a chance let's just see how it goes like the world's developing it's always developing there's new mm. ideas here there and everywhere you know let's just roll with it and let's just see what happens and you know like you say if, if you try and if you try and be a better person today than you was yesterday then you're on the right way aren't you you're on the right track so yeah I think that's what I have to say about that good Nice way to finish. Oh, nice way to finish. Um, so, quick five questions to finish. Josh, you ready for these? Yeah. Oh, he's looking for his notepad. Is he? He's written them down. <laughs> uh, if you could see one movie again for the first time, what would it be? Coach Carter. If you could instantly become an expert in something, what would it be? 
uh, I would want to be an expert in health curing diseases. Oh, nice one. If you could have the power of teleportation right now, where would you go and why? Um, that's such a really boring answer, but I'd teleport myself to the UK only because next week I fly home and I'm not earning enough money to fly myself first class and I don't really want to go in those peasant seats. So if I could <laughs> teleport myself to say 14 hours, I would. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Josh, thank you for today. Um, we've, we've touched on a lot of things and maybe, uh, hopefully we've, we've resolved, uh, well, we've at least shared our opinion and I think then opened it up for other people to go out there and kind of research and look into it some more. Um, so thank you for joining us again and, uh, hope you have a good final week. Thanks again, Madge. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Josh. And, uh, we'll see you, we'll see you soon. Nice one. Take care. Laters. Hi guys, thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, go ahead and subscribe. Share it with someone if you think they might enjoy it or if they might learn something new. If you have any comments or would like to join us on an episode, email us at youchattoomuch at gmail.com.